All right. Uh, good morning again. Great to be together. Good morning, Waypoint. Good morning, uh, Waypoint live stream people, Waypointers out there. Uh, good to be together. Uh, as Christy mentioned earlier during our announcements, uh, this coming Wednesday is the beginning of the season called Lent. Lent, go Lent goes back to the uh, early 300s, uh, something that's not in the Bible necessarily, though its themes are, but that the church sort of created to uh, walk with Jesus. Uh, it's Lent is 40 days plus Sundays, uh, leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, remembering Jesus' temptation in the desert, uh, in the wilderness, uh, a time to prepare ourselves uh, to celebrate. It's not a great word, but to recognize, to remember the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, his atoning death on the cross for our sin that we might be forgiven. And so it's a time of uh, solemn remembrance, historically a time of as one looks toward death, of sackcloth and ashes in the New Testament, hence, or in the Old Testament uh, especially, hence uh, ashes for Ash Wednesday. Uh, the season of uh, Lent has been for the church and for Christians a time not just of remembrance, but also of confession, of acknowledgement of sin, of uh, repentance, of self-denial, and of giving our, uh, ourselves to others in renewed devotion. So I want to encourage you not just to come on Ash Wednesday, but I encourage that, but also uh, to give thought, to dive in a little bit, learn a little bit about historic Lent, and maybe embrace that practice for yourselves. Um, Christians over the centuries have taken things off of their plates, practiced abstinence from certain things, given up certain things in Lent, and at other times taken on new disciplines and practices and devotions, all of which can be a rich preparation for uh, Good Friday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter. Um, someone, one of you sent me something uh, this week, a little sort of article about Lent, and it said uh, one of the subtitles of the sections was uh, this phrase, you need Lent. And I thought, yes, I need Lent. I think we all need Lent. Some of us don't look forward to Lent, but we need Lent. Yes. All right, let me, uh, with that advertisement for Lent, let me pray. God, thank you for uh, revealing yourself, your character, your heart, uh, your person, your reality to us as we've prayed as Jeff has led us in prayer and in the Psalms and in singing and in worship. Uh, continue to reveal yourself, impress your kingdom and your way, your gospel and your truth upon our minds and our hearts, on our whole beings. Help us to be open to you. We make ourselves as much as we can available. Help us to be attentive to your word and to your way and to your will. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they would be taken to heart. If my words deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. In the name and the character of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
So we're continuing this morning with our study, our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, found in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We've been at this for a number of months. We've got a little over a month still to go. Uh, Excited about that. This morning we pick up where we left off last week, which means chapter 7, verse 7. Listen closely to these words from Teacher Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, Master Jesus. Uh, Jesus the Lord. Listen closely. This is the word of God through the Son of God. He said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if your son or daughter asks for a fish, will give him or her a snake. If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And we love these words. These are some of uh, the most beloved words to us in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. They are familiar words, they are beloved words, they are hopeful words. They are encouraging, they are inspiring, they are reassuring, they are comforting. But my question this morning is, have we truly understood them? Have we truly understood them? Jesus has already taught about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, you may remember. Way back in the early part of chapter 6, Jesus warned his disciples, his followers, about showing off through prayer, about rambling on and on in prayer about praying in order to impress other people. And Jesus said that the antidote to all of that misguided prayer was shutting one's door, getting out of the limelight, praying in private, and even praying in secret. And then Jesus gave his disciples more specific instructions about how to pray and what to pray. Address God as Father in the heavens. Start that way, Jesus said, and always begin with praise. Always begin with praise. Hallowed be thy name. And pray for God's kingdom to come. Jesus had already said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom is near. The realm, the reign, the dominion, the reality of God is so near and among us. Pray that it would continue to come, and as a part of that, that God's will would be done. They are two sides of the same coin. And ask God to provide for you for the basics, like bread. And God has already done this, and God continues to do this. And God knows what you need, Jesus said, but ask him anyway. Give us this day our daily bread. And ask God to forgive you, though he already has, and he promises to continue to do so. But ask anyway along the way. Pledge to forgive other people in the same way. And ask God for help with that. And then ask God for strength in the face of temptation, for resolve and for strength. Ask God to protect you from the evil one and to protect you from the schemes of the evil one because they're all around us. He's at work among us. And all of this is way back early in chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And now he comes again around to prayer again. And my question is why? He doesn't cover anything else twice. He doesn't go back and loop back and get back to something else. Why? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who receives, who asks, receives. Everyone who knocks, who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, to that person the door will be opened. And again, we love these words. One well-known and highly regarded commentator wrote these words. This passage is the most encouraging biblical passage on the subject of prayer with which I am acquainted. The entire Bible. This passage is the most encouraging biblical passage on the subject of prayer with which I am acquainted. But many have also not given these words of Jesus a lot of thought or not known exactly what to do with them. Televangelists have misused these words of Jesus to promise people great riches and wealth and fame and prosperity and success and esteem and endless happiness in the way of the world if we just ask because it will be given to us and seek because we will find it knock with just enough faith the just right kind of faith and maybe with a pledge to their ministry. And what we want, ask for, seek, and desire will be given to them soon, very soon, if not today. Or it might take another pledge. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This has been called the health and wealth gospel, sometimes the prosperity gospel. And it's not that God doesn't want us to be rich in the things of the world. That may be okay. But what God really wants is us to be rich in the things of heaven, rich in the things of his kingdom, rich in the things of the gospel, rich in a kind of abundance that Jesus described with words like peace and joy and mercy and grace and hope. And then we also know, well, these words of Jesus don't always seem to work or pan out as promised as we think Jesus promised. He made it very simple. It doesn't always seem to work out that way. We've asked for stuff, all of us have, and not gotten it. We asked, why didn't we get it? We've sought and we've knocked, we've prayed and not gotten what we wanted in seeming contradiction to Jesus' words, to Jesus' promise. And so what gives? Or why doesn't God give? Why doesn't God give? Jesus seems to be in this passage in verse 7, handing out, writing these blank checks, signing them and handing them out to anyone and everyone. But we often seem not to be able to cash them. What's up? We may have read Jesus' words as if we were sitting on Santa's lap. Ask Santa. Put whatever you want on your list and whatever you want you'll get. God is like Santa, someone could think. Ask and you'll get it. Seek and it's yours. Knock, the door will be open. But we know from experience as well that God doesn't work that way. At least not all of the time, seemingly not most of the time. And so what? What gives Jesus? How are we to understand Jesus' words here? People sometimes ask when studying the Bible or considering the Bible, are we to read the Bible literally or figuratively? Literally or metaphorically? And the answer is always that we should always read the Bible contextually, as it was intended to be read, as it was originally understood by its original hearers, first in its context. 
And then always in the context of the book in which it was written and the passages of scripture around it that come before it and immediately after it. And in this case, that means specifically the Sermon on the Mount and the things that Jesus has been teaching up on the hillside for the last two chapters about the sort of righteousness or goodness that surpasses or exceeds the righteousness or the goodness of the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, those who led the way in the Jewish religion. Jesus' teaching here on prayer, following so much of the Sermon on the Mount, most likely applies primarily to the subjects on which Jesus has just taught, which we've been talking about over the last few months. And that would make sense. Everything that Jesus has just taught about up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount have been things that are really hard to do. There hasn't been a single one of them that's a slam dunk for me, not even close. None of them I could do on my own. I've tried all of them. If I were to do them, or occasionally when I may have been able to do them, it has only been, and it has only been, and it only ever will be with help from God, with divine help, with help from the heavens. And that goes for everything we've read over the last few months. None of it am I capable of doing. All of it I have failed at and continue to do regularly. But so often, I, we, think about this, don't even ask for help about those things. And so we don't, so often we don't ask, maybe because we don't really want to possess the sort of good life or goodness, or righteousness that Jesus has been describing over the course of the Sermon on the Mount. Or maybe we don't think it's possible for us, and so we don't ask. Or maybe we doubt the power of God to bring about such things in our lives, in our hearts, and our minds. We've been trying for so long and failed so often. Or we don't want to get our hopes up because we don't want to get disappointed, so we don't ask. Or we don't want to embarrass God. Strange thought, but. Or maybe we don't want to embarrass God. We don't want to make God look bad. We don't want to ask God for something that's beyond either God's ability or God's standard operating procedure. A little facetious here. Or we don't want to put God on the spot. How rude that would be. We'd hate to do that. So rude. Or we may not ask God because we don't want to believe that God hears us or that God is too busy or that he is, uh, his inbox is full or that we're too far down on God's list or that God lacks sufficient resources or that God is upset with us or that we're not good enough to get up on God's to-do list. But all of these things are wrong. They're just wrong. They're lies of the devil that he would have us believe or fall into or slip into. None of it's true. Or maybe we are just so self-sufficient. The shorter word for that is proud. And we think that we can handle all of these things on our own. We think we can get to the good life on our own. We think we can get to that higher, more beautiful, lovely righteousness that Jesus talked about on our own. We can make it on our own. We can get by on our own. We can do this. It's the same reason that many of us don't ask for help in our regular lives. Is it not true? 
How often do we go through life in pain or in hardship or struggling with something or in trouble and we just won't ask for help? I mean, consciously won't ask for help, though we are desperately in need. Because we're self-sufficient. We want to be. It's the American way. We don't need anyone's help. We can make it on our own. We'll figure this out. And how's that working out for us, everyone? Mastering what Jesus taught about anger. Anyone nailed that one yet? Mastering what Jesus taught about lust. Anyone nailed that one yet? Or loving your enemies. Anyone nailed that one yet? Or being content with what you have already and overflowing with generosity. How's all of that going for you? How's it going for me? Mastering what Jesus taught about anger. How's that going? Have you been freed from judging others harshly or critically? This past week we talked about judge not, that you be not judged, that you be not judged. Do not judge so that you will not be judged in the same way. We talked about that last week. Lots of us have been ruminated on it this week, over the past week. How's that going for you today? How'd you do this week? Anyone live a judgment-free week? A judgmentalism-free week? I can still use some help. And so Jesus says, help is available. The help desk is open. The helpline is staffed. You can ask, you can seek, you can knock. Well, that's the way we so often read this. This is the way we hear it for far too long. I've heard Jesus' words as one idea one way, a recommendation, something that's available, a suggestion, as an option, as advice, if I want to take it, as guidance, or even sometimes, because these are refrigerator magnet words, even just happy, hopeful thoughts. If you want, you can ask for help. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But in actuality, Jesus' words are not suggestions or ideas or helpful advice or a path, but rather they are commands. Ask, seek, knock. They are imperatives. Jesus is telling his disciples what to do and what they must do. This is how to live. This is how to tap into the resources that are needed, the divine grace that is needed to be able to do the things that Jesus has been talking about for the last few months up on the hill. This is an essential step in kingdom living, apparently. Now and today. I'm telling you, Jesus says, to pray, knock, seek, ask. Don't remain silent. Don't remain still. Don't take no action. Instead, ask, seek, knock. The devil can't keep God from answering our prayers, so the devil tries to keep us from offering our prayers. Expressing our prayers, speaking our prayers, asking, seeking, knocking. I'll say that again. The devil can't keep God from answering our prayers 
And so the devil keeps us from asking our prayers, from voicing our prayers, expressing our prayers, offering our prayers. The greatest problem in our lives is not that we have an unanswered prayer, but that we have unoffered prayer or unasked prayer. In the words of the well-known hymn, Oh, what peace we often forfeit, Oh, what needless pain we bear, All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. In the words of James, the brother of Jesus, You desire but do not have, you covet but you cannot get what you want. You do not have because you do not ask God. And Jesus' commands are in the present imperative tense, which can be translated in some versions in English, do. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Some of us kind of, I, well, I asked about that. I prayed about that last week, last year, last month, yesterday. Keep on. Without devolving into meaningless repetition, Jesus tells his students to not stop praying, to not stop asking, to not stop seeking, to not grow weary in prayer, to not give up on praying. For some reason, Jesus wants his apprentices to live in continual prayer, discovering their own continual dependence on God or affirming their continual dependence on their Father in heaven. Over in Luke's gospel in the 18th chapter, Jesus tells a parable about a judge and a persistent widow who continually pleads with the judge for justice in her case. And Luke tells his readers that the point of Jesus' parable, Luke sort of gives it away. And so the point of Jesus' parable is this, to show Jesus' disciples that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. Jesus' use of these three different verbs of, for prayer function to drive home his point, ask, seek, knock. To ask was to beg, to call for, to crave to desire, to ask for. To seek was to seek in order to find. To go out looking for that thing with the intention and the hope and the expectation of actually finding it. To look for, to try to obtain, to desire to possess, and to knock was quite, quite literally to rap on a door or a gate. They all communicate active pursuit of something and inquiry. Ask, seek, knock. Hunger. For, our, for whatever reason, God wants us to keep asking, seeking, knocking, praying. God is not annoyed by incessant asking as you or I might be and sometimes are or maybe often are. But somehow God is pleased with this sort of behavior. How different God than those of us who are parents? And what are we to ask for? Again, what Jesus most likely had in mind, the context for these words, this teaching, were the things he just taught about in chapter 6 and chapter 5 and early part of chapter 7. Refraining from anger, refraining from lust, Remaining faithful to one's marriage covenant, living truthfully, transparently, in truth, in every way. 
not living vengefully, but instead actively loving one's enemies, giving, praying, fasting without calling attention to oneself, which is a favorite pastime of many of us. We're so creative. Storing up treasures in heaven rather than on earth, having a healthy relationship with money, learning not to worry, but instead to trust God, refraining from harshly judging, criticizing, condemning others mercilessly, refraining from putting others below oneself in one's mind as a facet of that, dot, dot, dot. Ask for help with these things. Specifically, Jesus says, ask for help. Yes, until an answer is given. And that answer will come, maybe not in our timing, maybe not in the way that we want, maybe not in the way that we expect, but an answer will come. Our concern, however, is not to be so concerned or focused on the answer, Jesus says, but the asking. And the asking or the praying is always to be according to God's will in ways and for things that are consistent with God's will. For example, things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, our greatest example of prayer is always Jesus, who himself was continually at prayer and who prayed on the night before he was crucified. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And we read in John's first letter, these words, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Too often I have asked for things according to my will. My own personal Lord's prayer is my will be done, my kingdom come. Too often I have prayed for things that are not really good may seem good to me, for me, in the short run. But have you ever looked back on the things that you prayed in yourself or that you could have prayed or almost prayed or might have prayed or were inclined to pray and thought, God, thank you for not hearing that prayer. Thank you for not answering that prayer in the way that I wanted you to answer it. That would have been a disaster, not just for me, but for my family, for those around us and so on. Too often I have asked for things that were not in the end or clearly good. God, on the other hand, gives only good gifts, Jesus says, only good gifts. Again, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And there's more. There's one more thing here. Jesus in his teaching in his Sermon on the Mount is not teaching us about some moral code or how to have the good life or about how to live in the kingdom or about a righteousness or goodness that's above and beyond or even better than that of the religious leader of Jesus' days. Well, he was. But there was more to it than that. Jesus was also in all of this teaching, teaching his students about his Father in heaven. About the nature of God, the character of God, the heart of God, the longing of God, the ways of God. Which of you, if your child asks for bread, will give him or her a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, 
And you may not be the most evil person on the face of the earth, neither am I. But there's evil within us. It's the fall. It's original sin. It's there. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and who doesn't? Who doesn't take delight in that? No one enjoys giving your kids stones or poisonous snakes or things that will hurt them or things that will turn them off or turn them away or disappoint them. If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts for your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things or good gifts to those who ask him? Think about that. What does this passage tell us about God? Last week, Jesus was talking about judging others, but what he was really talking about was hoping that his students, his pupils, his apprentices came to understand the nature and the character and the qualities of God, who is not eager to judge or condemn harshly, but sent his son into the world not to condemn, but so the world might be saved. God takes no delight in his role as judge, but rather takes great delight in his role as Abba, his role as father. That is who God was last week, revealed in Jesus' teaching about what we're to do and not do. And the message this morning is similar. We see a God who's not reluctant to give, holding back, but rather one who wants to give, who wants to bless, who wants to pour out, who wants to overwhelm with good, and who intends to, but who also wants us to ask, who wants to be in relationship, who wants to hear from us, who wants to hear us call out. We read back in chapter 6 when Jesus was talking about prayer that God already knows what we need. He already knows. But he wants to hear from us, not to put us to a test, not so, but so that we acknowledge where the source of all good comes from, where the power is, where the grace is, where that all flows from. The emphasis in the text is on the Father's breathtaking readiness to give, his asking children what is good for them. The emphasis in this text is on the Father's breathtaking readiness to give, his asking children what is good for him. I don't know if you noticed, we read verses 7 and 8. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you, and the door will be opened, and you will find. But then Jesus says the same thing again, and he actually says three times, ask, seek, and knock, but he says six times, it will be given to you, it will be given to you, it will be given to you. You will receive, it will be provided. And showing this contrast between our meager asking and God's abundant giving, and the focus really isn't as much on our asking and our wanting and our needing and our expressing and our praying and our seeking and our knocking as it is on the one who's ready to give, there to give, has resources to give, is eager to give, wants to help through all of those things that we can't do on our own if we will only stubbornly, not stubbornly, give up our stubbornness and say, yes, help me. 
We recently watched the movie uh, Minions as a family. And there's Gru in that early scene, and the three little girls come knocking on his door. Do you remember this scene? Selling something like Girl Scout cookies or something, raising money. And Gru's behind the door. Nobody's home. I'm not home. We know you're home. We hear your voice. This is a recording. I am not home. I don't want anything. I'm not here. I don't need anything. I'm not. We know you're home. As if God is behind a door like that. But God is not behind a door like that. But rather, he's like the waiting father, the patient father, the loving father in Jesus' story about a lost son. He's waiting eagerly behind a door, ready, so ready that he's throwing the door open. He's just itching, eager, ready to go. Come back. Come to me. Ask, seek, knock. And the door will not stay closed, but it's ready to spring open in the grace and the goodness of God to all who will ask, to all who will come, to everyone who needs help, to anyone who will acknowledge. The Sermon on the Mount is so hard. And for us, we ingest it, we think about it, we process it, we discuss it in our life groups, we may journal about it, and Jesus says, ask. Seek, knock. And I'm going to help you with all of this. I'm going to make it possible for you to live in this way and to live in the kingdom and to live with joy and to live with a kingdom abundance. Just ask. Lean on me. Rely on me. I'm here for you. Ask and keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Don't think, oh, I asked once. Or maybe, what if I ask and I'm disappointed? God doesn't come. What if that is ask, seek, knock? The door will be opened. You will find and he will give. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us with your grace and with your mercy, that you would supernaturally empower us to live in your kingdom, according to your kingdom, by your grace. Give us the tools and the resources to love our enemies, to refrain from hate, to give generously, to not respond in anger, to push back lust, to not judge others harshly. Help us to live without the focus on ourselves, without needing to make a lot of noise about who we are, how good we are, that's our natural inclination, God, to push others down, to lift ourselves up. Forgive us, have mercy on us, help us. Bring about your kingdom in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our relationships, in our stewardship, in our words, in our eyes, as we hear Bring about your reign, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Amen.